Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. If you've seen any of Yorgos Lanthimos' films, then you know the Greek director isn't afraid to put anything on the screen. Like many famous surrealists, Lanthimos isn't interested in exploring stories where things go right. He wants his audience to reflect on what's wrong in the world. To him, nothing is off-limits, and any dark side of the human psyche is worth exploring. In surreal films, any image can be too much or too little, and it's a delicate balance, but one that Lanthimos has truly mastered with his latest film, The Favorite. A period piece set in early 18th century England, a frail Queen Anne, in a magnificent performance by Olivia Colman, occupies the throne, and her close friend Lady Sarah, Rachel Weiss, governs the country in her stead. When a new servant, Abigail, played by Emma Stone, arrives, her charm endears her to the queen, and a competition to be the favorite emerges. In our interview, Lanthimos is joined by screenwriter Tony McNamara to discuss how commercial work early in his career ended up steering the director in the complete opposite direction, not conforming to filmic norms and breaking every possible rule you can. Hey everybody, uh, this is John Fusco, and I'm really excited to have Yorgos Lanthimos and Tony McNamara uh, with me today. Your latest film is the favorite, but I mean, you have one of my favorite like resumes, I'd guess, or rosters of films ever because they're all so unique and so surreal. And um, I think like what I'd like to f- ask you first is, um, you know, I just watched Dogtooth again um, earlier this week, and we'll get to the, of course, we'll get to the favorite. But um, how how are how did you just like come right out of the gate making these kind of taboo <laughs> films? Like what, like how are you able to do that as a young filmmaker um, to just challenge, challenge the audience immediately um, as soon as you got to the scene? Well, I guess, you know, one of the things where w- was, you know, what attracted me, you know, personally as a, as a person, what, you know, what kind of uh, films or literature or music I liked um, that, obviously had a an impact on me uh, another thing i think is that I, I i basically started by working in commercials a lot uh, so my first job and where i learned all the technical aspect of of filmmaking is making for for many years commercials um, and because in greece you know it, it wasn't and it still is isn't very difficult to make feature films because there's no you know, there's no real tradition or industry that supports it. Um, it was kind of unthinkable to that you'll make a career as a as a filmmaker of feature film. So I started by, my, by making hundreds of commercials, and when I you know reached the realization that I can, you know, despite that there's no support or infrastructure, that I can just you know make a film with my friends uh, and. Uh, you know, use the resources from uh, commercials, production companies, and the money that we were making from commercials. I think it was just doing something that was exactly the opposite of what we we're making while making commercials. So break <laughs> break every rule. Like anything, everything needs to be definitely not polished. No makeup. No hair. No lights. Uh, rough. Uh, not necessarily narrative. It doesn't have to make sense. Uh, just you know, do everything against what we were making for years. So I think that was that's how I made my first film, Kineta, 
which very few people have seen actually. Um, uh, and then I, I don't know. It just I continued from there on uh, making things that I, you know, that felt the the things that I wanted to make. I never felt that I had to succeed in you know, as a, as a filmmaker, because it wasn't really an option for me back then. Uh, it was just making films with my friends. So we were, you know, free to make them any way we wanted. Mm. Were you ever uh, putting any of your own voice into the commercial stuff that you would do? Like, was there any way for you to sneak in, like, some sort of the Yorgos we'd see later on down the road? Or was that something that you really just, like, refined after making your first movie? Uh, I mean, I guess it was very limited, you know, but but still even, you know, because it's uh, it's a craft of some kind, you know, you the choices you make and, you know, visually or aesthetically or uh, <clears throat> I think I used to have a, you know, an identity as a commercials director as well. It wasn't similar to my identity necessarily as a filmmaker, but obviously, you know, if you have some strong ideas and vision about things I think it kind of goes for anything that you do mm. so in a very different way I think I did have an identity while making commercials for uh, the the toolkit that you were sort of creating for yourself um, through I guess the commercials at first but then like through the movies uh, what are your biggest tools in creating sort of these surreal worlds what are the what are, what are the most useful tools for a filmmaker to create like sort of a surreal atmosphere. I don't I think, you know, in there's something in every part of the process. There's uh you know, from the the, the inception of the idea, the initial idea is really important. How you materialize that into a screenplay, um, and then how you visualize that through, you know, filmmaking and performance with the actors and atmosphere and then editing and sound and music, you know, every, everything. E- everything. I guess it's not a very, <laughs> maybe it's not a very useful answer, <laughs> but uh, I guess every part of the process is very, very important. Um, is there a process that you find yourself sort of leaning towards uh, more than uh, any other? Like, is is there one part that really interests you or excites you still um, to this day through, with um, each film? Well, again, um, there's no there's no one part of the process, but there's moments in each part of the process that, you know, are what feeds you in order to be able to continue. I think, you know, when you're, when you're thinking of something and you kind of get the idea and you get excited that this is something that can be really good, when you you know re- you reach a draft of our screenplay that you start feeling confident that you're very near into starting pre-production mm-hmm. that's very exciting pre-production pretty s- sucks because yeah. pretty much because <laughs> you know there's so many you know difficulties and practicalities that you need to solve uh but but again i think you do find you know the moments where you know you come up with ideas with your collaborators or you're rehearsing with the actors and it's fun mm-hmm. and uh, mm. then filming is extremely stressful cuz you know it all it, it is always about budget and time and how you're going to manage to get the things you want to get and it's going to be like that forever and you can't return to it and it's going to stay in history as you recorded it right. at this moment right. and the the pressure is immense so it's 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 quite stressful but you know you do find yourself 
you know, smiling and laughing sometimes with what you're seeing in front of you and what, you know, these adults are creating. Um, um, And then, again, you know, the editing I find quite a boring process. It's very long and boring. But again, you know, when you see something that didn't work and then all of a sudden by fiddling with it, it works. Yeah. Again, you know, there's an excitement. Uh, you, you, you find, again, your, your excitement. Um, I, I saw your film at uh, the New York Film Festival um, a month, about a month ago, and you told the audience in the Q&A after that there's these title cards um, that weren't initially in the plan for the movie, but that's something that you found in the edit, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess I felt that um, the film was had a the rhythm of the film was quite fast, and things were moving really fast, yeah. which was a good thing. But at the same time, you know, I th- I felt that in, I needed to uh, to have some pauses in a way that weren't long and be able to um, uh, get people through a certain period to the next chapter. Mm-hmm. So I I found you know that the titles were. The cars were a, an efficient way of doing that without having to spend a lot of time or coming up with different scenes. Or so um, it was a matter of more punctuation mm. for me, but also you know a, a humorous aspect of it, like yeah. using a line from the film, uh, making it into a chapter. I guess it's quite a literary uh, device uh, in some ways. Well, so you have written most of the screenplays of your movies yourself, um, but then for the favorite, you had Tony. What was your collaboration like there? Why why, uh, bring in a third party for this film in particular? Well, um, I had a very specific, um, well, specific and non-specific idea about, you know, what I was looking for for this film. And although... You know, the, the original story was really interesting and the characters were very interesting and where it went and the resonance of, of the story. Uh, I knew very early on that we would have to bring someone else uh, in order to accomplish what I had in my head. Um, uh, and uh, we went through a process, myself and the producers, of reading like hundreds of you know playwrights, screenwriters, um, uh, any Anglophone writer that we could f- we could find, um, and uh, yeah, we we ended up you know finding Tony, who's unfortunately not with us today. Um, who was in a in Australia? <laughs> that wasn't very um, convenient, uh, but um, you know his 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 stuff, you know seem to have to already have you know that kind of voice and although you don't you can't describe it when you're looking for it mm-hmm. you know i felt very confident early on when i read his stuff that it was you know him that could actually pull this through uh and then tony what's the the rest of it <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it uh yes the rest of it is we uh uh, yeah, I think I, you know, I felt like it was really interesting, and the I think we, as soon as we spoke, I felt like you know, um, I went and watched, you know, I watched Doctors and I watched Alps, and I was like, as soon as we spoke, I felt like we understood. I sort of understood without. It's hard to put into words. It was like we sort of both knew. I could sort of sense what Yogos wanted and what he was looking for, and we sort of both understood what sort of film. 
we would try and write, you know, and and make and what it would feel like and the tone of it in particular and that it would we would turn it into a sort of different kind of period film, I suppose, and a tragic comedy and um so we did that and it only took us five or six, seven years. <laughs> Has it, have you really been in development? For, was this movie in development? Yeah, for I mean, it wasn't like we were working right, right. consecutively no, all these exactly. years, but uh, it did start, I mean, the first time I read the script, I think it was uh, the original script, it was 2009. Wow. So I worked a little bit initially with the original writer, and then there was a period where we were looking for the, the, the next writer. Hmm. And then, I don't know, when did we start? I mean, it must have been like six, seven was, years. Uh, no, it was a... Yeah, it was like I—I I mean, there were. I've got two more children than I had, <laughs> so quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah. But I think it was six or seven years ago. But yeah, we weren't on it all the time because I was in Australia and Yogis was here, and he was making the lot. You know, then he would go make films, and I would go and do other things. So we would always be sort of doing a draft or a pass, and we would Skype. You know, we would do Skypes and do notes, and I would do a pass, and occasionally I'd come to London for a little while. And, We met in Rome for a week or so at one point. Um, so we would just sort of do it randomly, I think. Because I think at the time, we it was a big... We sort of, I think, knew it was a big film that would take a while to get right, but it would also take a while to get to the point where, you know, we could get the money to do it, I guess. When I first saw the trailer or heard that you were doing a period piece, like, <laughs> last year, I was like, oh my, well, this is so such a left turn from like the things that I'd seen you do previously. Um, and I already thought like maybe this would be something that could appeal to like a, a wider audience than maybe uh, the one, like the, the following that you had prior to this film. Um, what would you say to, I guess, critics in particular who are like, this is your most quote unquote palpable uh, film to date? Uh, well, it might be. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I hope it is because it's more expensive than the other yeah. ones. <laughs> um, but but again, I mean, I never, I, I really never think that way when I'm, you know, choosing what I'm about to make. It's just things that interest me, things that challenge me, feeling that I'm doing something slightly different, uh, feeling that I'm becoming better at certain things. Um, so, and again, you know, I remind you, I... I read this 2009, so I, we started developing developing it back then. So it could have been right. the next film I made right after Dogtooth. Yeah. So that would be a left turn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't really, it didn't really matter the fact that I made other films. I mean, I think I make the films when they're ready to be made, mm. and when I'm, I feel the time is right, or the script is right, or you manage to put it together because of financing or because of casting. I mean, this another reason this took a, a, another year or so to make is because we were we, we sometimes had to wait for the cast because mm. I really felt it was very important to have the right actors for it. And when you know it didn't all fall into place as I I wished it had, we had to push the film and then I ended up making another film before. Um, so it's 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 you know many different reasons why you make a film um, when you make it but it's for me it's certainly not uh, a plan on making something which is you know more palatable and right. then something which isn't and then something which is or anything like that. Well, then going back to some of the more like, um, I guess, taboo sort of imagery or filmmaking that you have done, um, 
I'm like a really big fan of when a director kind of provides us with like the ugly side of things rather than the beautiful. I think it's like a more uh, engaging way to communicate with your audience and it leaves them sort of thinking, uh, you know, more critically or more engaged when they leave. Um, is that something that you like resonate with? Are you sort of fascinated in maybe uh, screwing around with your audience a bit or? Yeah. Well, I guess I, you know, people do ask me why I'm so pessimistic or my films are so dark. And, <laughs> well, um, um, but I, but I, I think yes, it's be, because of what you're, you know, you're explaining. I, I, I don't think there's any. I'm not interested in making a film about things that go right because what, <laughs> what, what is there to say about it? I mean, it's okay, it's fine, it's going right. So why should I say something about it? Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, all of those things you want, I find myself wanting to expose and wonder about and ask questions about is things that are not right or things that I think we maybe think are right, but I think we should question. Mm. Uh, and um, so I think that's how I'm driven to make the choices that I make. Mm. Is there anything uh, that you would be like, too, that you think would be too bold to put on screen, or is there anything you would be afraid to like show to an audience? Um, I don't know. It's. It, I think it all depends uh, in context. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, any image can be too much or too little or whatever. Uh, Have you had any ideas for films where you've been like, oh, okay, wait, no, this is something that I I can't uh actually follow it through on? Not because... really, because bec uh, until you actually flesh it out and have a complete thing yeah uh you you probably don't really know i, I think anything is worth exploring mm. and if you feel that it feels right you know you go ahead and, and do it i've always been a fan also of the sort of like lenses and cameras that you choose to shoot on uh for your films just the look um this movie is insane <laughs> like <laughs> the wide shots specifically with these like fisheye sort of fisheye anamorphic lenses or something that you're using what can you talk about what those lenses are and sort of <laughs> the, the tony tell us what those lenses yeah. are <laughs> um well they look to be made of glass <laughs> um they are made of glass yes. and metal mm. um, excellent um, well, it's uh, it, it's just very wide. It's spherical lenses, but they're very wide. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> or they, they're like, how old are they? Where did they? Uh, they're relatively old, um, especially that really wide uh, fisheye lens. It was something that was you know sitting on the shelves uh, in Param uh, in uh, Paramount. I'm gonna say Panavision yeah. uh, for a while and. Uh, because I had started experimenting with wide-angle lenses and movement, you know, for a couple of films now, and uh, it's becoming uh, my preference to do things in a certain way, but also push things further with every film. I we we tested wide-angle lenses. We felt it was appropriate for this film. You know, there was these huge spaces with these lonely figures in them that it, with the wide-angle lenses, that kind of feel was kind of enhanced. Uh, the distortion of that space, you know, the the claustrophobic feeling that it provides you, uh, seeing the entire space in one frame and uh, seeing where it ends mm -hmm. and not feeling that it's infinite. Mm -hmm. um, so um, yeah, we we found with Robbie this uh, 
we were going for wide-angle lenses, and I, I used up to the 10 millimeter w- while I was making the, the killing of a sacred deer. Mm. And then we discovered this 6 millimeter <laughs> lens. And we went like, oh, let's bring it. Let's, you know, let's see what that does. And when I saw it and I saw the distortion and I, I went like I, I got really excited. But still, uh, in the initial stage, we, weren't, we, we, we didn't even know that we were going to use it that much. We mm. thought that it was going to be a lens that sometimes we would use and then we would use the rest of them that look relatively more normal to our filmic language. Right. <laughs> uh, no, um, but, you know, as we were using it, we just felt more and more uh, intrigued by it and tried to use it in different ways. And uh, it just felt right for the film. And uh, we, we kept using it more and more as we went on filming. Anytime it popped up on screen i just like audibly like gasped (laughs) it is it is insane Um, there's an interesting eight millimeter that we we didn't use in the end which was completely round it creates a round image sort of like a pinhole yeah like a pinhole kind of thing uh it's a shame we didn't use it maybe in the next one i'd love to see that (laughs) so is that something that you write it in the script tony (laughs) are you guys pinhole lens (laughs) <laughs> Cut to pinhole lens. <laughs> Are you guys working on anything together uh, for the future currently, or is this a a partnership that it will keep producing work? Don't say the title. Okay. Can you say? I won't. No, um, I, I spoke. <laughs> yes, see we how are. well we. Yeah, yeah. You, your your collaboration <laughs> is insane. Uh, yeah, we uh, yes, we're working on an, uh, something at the moment that we've something we think is going to be very interesting and funny <laughs> and great. Um, and we'll have pinhole and, lenses. And it's, and it's, yeah, exactly, full of pinhole lenses um, and glass lenses. It's no, it's uh, yeah, we're adap- it's an adaptation of a book, and I won't tell you what book. Okay. Um, but it's really you know, it's uh, it's a sort of comedy fantasy very dark in lots of ways and it's very uh it's a really interesting kind of you know i mean we like it <laughs> it sounds it sounds really funny really yeah <laughs> um yeah and period, but not oh, that period okay cool period well i love yeah. different period i love period, how you're exploring period. this period so i would yeah, any more of that, keep it coming. Um, so I guess we're, we're almost out of time here, and I want to um, ask you both a, a question that I ask all my guests, uh, which is, if you had one golden piece of advice for aspiring filmmakers, uh, Yorgos, and aspiring screenwriters, Tony, uh, what would it be? And uh, why don't we start with Tony? Um, ooh, what would it be? Hmm. Careful, you have the future mm. of people's yeah. young people's hands in your yeah. hand. <laughs> I know. I'm torn between go go and saying be a lawyer <laughs> or um <laughs> I, I would say just go and see a lot of theatre, go and see a lot of dance, read a lot of books, novels and just watch an incredible amount of movies because mm. sometimes I feel like people don't do that. And I just you know, you have to be rich in a lot of different aspects of the arts to help inform your work. So it's not just 
I mean, this is what I would say. It's just so it's not just like I just know movies. I don't know anything else. I think you have to enrich yourself in a lot of different ways. Yeah, you can really feel the influence of theater and dance and uh, not like novel, historic novels in your film. And how about you, Yorgos? Uh, and yes, and so after you do all that that Tony suggested, <laughs> uh, I'd say um, don't don't try to conform with anything don't try and fit in any box just you know do what you feel is right for you just um don't try and imitate anything don't try and succeed uh because i i i think only if you if you are genuine and you do you know what what is true to you and what you're interested in that's how it can only go well and that's how only you'll be content and maybe you'll find you know whatever kind of success is important for you um yeah all right guys well thank you so much for joining us thank you and uh, everyone definitely see the favorite later this week bye bye Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate the New Film School podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. Go see The Favorite. It's in theaters now. And stay tuned later this week for Indie Film Weekly, our weekly news show. Until then, bye.